Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us once again on LJN Radio for really one of our listeners' favorite podcasts, I Want to Be A. In each episode, we fill in that sentence with a different job, bringing in some professionals to give you all the information you need to hopefully land a position and also thrive in it. I'm your host, Tim Muma, and today I want to be an interpreter. Now, the specific role of an interpreter may change slightly depending on the situation, but in the end, each are tremendously helpful and valuable, helping people connect through really their own language. Now, to give us some perspective, we have Trudy Schaefer, the project coordinator for the National Interpreter Education Center at Northeastern University. Thanks for coming on today, Trudy. Good morning. I guess first and foremost, to give people an idea of where you're coming from and your experience, just tell us a little bit about your professional career. Sure. Well, I began interpreting over 30 years ago, and at that time, the field was really just beginning. Mm -hmm. I have worked as a designated interpreter, which means that I was the private interpreter for one deaf individual in his job. I've been a staff interpreter working for a state agency, and I've been a community interpreter freelancing in a variety of settings including religious interpreting, job interviews, medical appointments, things like that. But my preferred setting is working in college classes. I've been very fortunate. I've interpreted law school at DePaul University and Boston University. I've interpreted courses at MIT, Harvard, Boston University, Northeastern University, the College of the Holy Cross, and others. Uh, But now mainly I teach interpreting. No, that's great. Obviously, you have different backgrounds. And uh, that was one of the questions I was going to ask you a little bit later, too, about the different maybe type of interpreters. We'll get into that a little bit later. What was it, though, that attracted you to the industry to begin with? I mean, was there something that that sparked it? Was it something you always had a thought about doing? What was sort of your your path or your reasoning for getting into it? Well, as I said earlier, when I started as an American Sign Language interpreter, the field was very, very new. The, profi- the profession was just emerging. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of exotic, and it was exciting to be part of a movement. Deaf rights and disability rights were just emerging as a political and social phenomenon. And honestly, I think some of those things still apply now. Sure. Yeah, no, I I think you are on something there with it still being, uh, yeah, I like the word you used, exotic. It does work there. Yeah, it has the feeling of kind of being on the cutting edge. Sure, sure. Which is exciting. Now, we will talk about the different types of interpreters, and you sort of mentioned the the different aspects, the different areas you could get into. But in general, with your experience, obviously your perspective being different than ours, how do you define that, the role of an interpreter in your own words? That's a great question. Um, well, interpreting happens when you have two people who don't share a common language, but they need to or they want to communicate with each other. Maybe they want to conduct business or just share information and ideas. So in the languages that I work with, American Sign Language and English, interpreters facilitate communication when people are deaf and use sign language, and they're interacting with people who are not deaf and use a spoken language. Interpreters have to understand the meaning and intent being expressed in one language that we call that the source language. And then we have to think about how we would express that meaning and intention in another language or the target language. So interpreters have to be very fluent in both languages. They have to be bilingual. And they have to have a cultural awareness because there are very distinct differences between deaf culture and what we call hearing culture. So in order to bridge both the differences of language and culture, interpreters have to be very well-trained, very disciplined, and very courageous. When you talk about the idea of being trained and disciplined, that sort of thing, so when we're talking about education side of it, is that 
I mean, do you get all of that in the classroom or, I mean, do you really start picking up that sort of idea of culture and, and interpreting, you know, different phrases, different ideas once you're practicing or in the field, that kind of thing? How, where would you say you're really picking up a lot of that, that as a professional? Well, I think one reason that I enjoy being an interpreter it, is that it involves lifelong learning. Mm. Uh, you never finish. You never reach the pinnacle where you say, okay, that's it. I know everything there is to know. Uh, so the first step is engaging in an interpreter education program where you'll get exposed to the theoretical underpinnings of our field. You'll have opportunities to improve your American Sign Language skills. You'll have opportunities to explore and experiment with the interpreting process, but that's just the beginning of your learning curve. It really comes to fruition when you enter the field, first as a mentor or an apprentice, and then become an independent interpreter working in a variety of settings. But as I said, once that happens, once you achieve certification by our national association, you still have a lot to learn. And and for me, that's what makes this an exciting and engaging field. Sure. You mentioned certification, and, and I guess I wanted to touch on that a little bit with the educational background and that sort of thing. Maybe not necessarily just for yourself, but in general, is there sort of a standard path that individuals would take to get into this? Is, are there particular schools that they really should be looking into? Uh, I guess, what's sort of your your take on the path one would be looking at educationally? Well, usually someone becomes interested because they're exposed to American Sign Language as a youth. Mm -hmm. Perhaps they have a deaf friend or a deaf family member or ASL is being offered in their high school and they decide to take it as their foreign language. Mm -hmm. Once that happens, once that exposure takes place and people feel that they have an affinity for working with this language and an interest in working with deaf people, they will attend an interpreter education program. There are approximately 130 programs in the United States. These include both two-year community college programs and four-year college programs. If folks are interested, we have a great website that provides a lot of information about becoming an interpreter. It's called discoverinterpreting.org. We also have, uh, have a Facebook page called Discover Interpreting. And at the website, we have information on those um, interpreter education programs. Okay. So a student will enroll in one of these uh, college programs where they'll really hone their ASL skills. That's crucial. As I said before, you can't be an interpreter if you're not bilingual. <laughs> so a lot of emphasis is placed on developing skills with American Sign Language and learning the interpreting process. There is a very rigorous body of research that helps people understand how interpreting takes place and how they can acquire the skills necessary to be effective interpreters. And then upon graduation, we encourage folks to work with a mentor in the field as uh, an apprentice so that they can improve their skills. And once they've had that experience under their belt, go on to seek a certification from our professional association, the Registry of Interpreters for the Deaf. I should note that before you can sit for certification, you do have to have a bachelor's degree. Okay. Now, there was one thing you did mention in there I just wanted to check on. You you, you used the phrase encourage individuals to have a mentor is and, and sort of, you know, have that apprenticeship, basically. Is that something that's required or is it sort of a thing where if you don't do it, you have a, a much less chance of getting a job afterwards? I mean, how does that work? 
say virtually all of the college interpreter education programs have a practicum requirement okay. where interpreting students have to go out in the field with an interpreting supervisor, somebody who's a working interpreter, uh, to gain some experience before they graduate. Sure. But it's not enough. And so we really do encourage, although it is not mandatory, we do encourage that interpreters make the effort to spend the first year or two out of their program working with a seasoned interpreter so that they can get their footing in the field. Frequently, interpreters who work as community interpreters freelance, and that means that they often work alone. And a fresh grad isn't going to have the experience or the expertise to kind of navigate some of the challenging situations that they're going to encounter. Uh, so before they get themselves in a jam, we feel it's really important that they um, establish professional relationships with working interpreters, get a lot of experience, get a lot of supervision, so that if they do choose to become an, a community interpreter and do a lot of freelancing, they're prepared to make the kinds of decisions they need to make as a solo practitioner. But I should say that a lot of our work also happens in teams. So it's not that an interpreter would always be uh, working alone, but that opportunity will certainly present itself. Sure. And it definitely makes sense with the idea of an apprenticeship. But we talk about that with a lot of other positions that you don't need to have, you know, something like an internship. But uh, it's amazing how much more helpful that is moving forward in the process. It sounds like very much the same thing with uh, with interpreting. Oh, definitely. And it's beneficial, I think, in, in two respects. It helps a novice interpreter perfect their skills but it also provides a great networking opportunity. If sure. you can work with a seasoned interpreter who knows the community, who knows the deaf people that you're likely to be interacting with, who knows the other interpreters that you're likely to be paired with as uh, professional colleagues, who know the intricacies of billing and just kind of navigating the world, it can be such a benefit for the novice interpreter. It's worth every minute. Terrific advice there. And now you're talking about the idea of networking and how uh, obviously, having that connection immediately with some sort of mentor is, is gratefully helpful there. Take us into that aspect of applying for jobs then, because that's, it would sort of be that next step. What type of things do you think that uh, job seekers would really need to know when it comes to kind of getting their name out there, the idea of networking, as you mentioned, just any details you could help out the listeners with? Sure. Well, in our field, as I mentioned, we have a professional association known as the Registry of Interpreters for the Deaf. Mm -hmm. It's a national association of sign language interpreters, and each state has an affiliate chapter. So one of the first things that a fresh grad, or actually as a student, one of the first things you should do is become a member. And most of these state chapters have student memberships, so the fees are modest. And it gives you a chance to meet people who are working in the field, to find out what some of the contemporary issues are on the local level, and to begin to network with other professionals in the field. Once you graduate, of course, your mentor is going to be crucial to helping you establish yourself within the uh, field. Mm -hmm. um, in our field, many states have public or private interpreter referral agencies. So let's say you're a doctor and you have a deaf patient coming to see you in a couple of weeks. You would call this referral agency and say, I will need an interpreter on Monday the 10th from 2 to 4 p.m. Hmm. And the referral agency will then put out their feelers, recruiting interpreters who are qualified to do that kind of work to see if they're available at that time and place. 
So a novice interpreter definitely wants to make connections with the referral agencies in their community. Also, uh, the deaf community has been very active for a long time in meeting their social and economic needs. So there are social service agencies that typically serve deaf people. That's a great place to do some networking as well, as well as schools for the deaf. Every community will probably have, if not a standalone school for the deaf, there'll be a mainstream program where deaf children will attend a public school, and that public school is kind of known as the place where deaf children go to attend school. That's another great connection to uh, make yourself known as a novice interpreter and learn about employment opportunities. Well, I mean, definitely sounds like there are a lot of avenues to make those connections and sort of get your name out there and, and have those experiences. So hopefully for those that are listening that are interested, you can uh, take advantage of those opportunities. You know, when looking at the next step of, of the you know job process or trying to obviously land a position, we talk about the job interview. And I'm wondering if it's going to be a little bit different than what uh, a lot of us think of in a traditional job interview are you tested? I mean, are they are they sort of running you through the gamut of, of different, uh, you know, language issues? Are they running you through different assessments? I mean, how does that work when you get into the job interview uh, and some of the details maybe that we wouldn't know about? Well, you know, each job interview is going to be different. Sure. So I can't speak specifically to what you may encounter in a particular job. But I think in general, candidates should be prepared to do two things. The first is to be uh, engaged in a dialogue with the interviewers, and my guess would be that there would be a panel of interviewers, that you would have at least one, if not more, deaf person Hmm. interviewing you, and at least one, if not more, hearing person interviewing you. And the initial part of the interview will include possibly some scenarios that involve ethical decision-making. Interpreters are involved in intimate details of deaf people's lives. We're there when they graduate. We're there when they land a job. We're there when they're sick. We're there when their children are born. And it's incumbent upon us to be discreet. The conversation with a potential employer, I'm sure, is going to explore some of the tenets of our code of professional conduct that really speaks to issues of confidentiality and ethical decision-making. And then once that part of the interview is done, you can bet that there will be some kind of assessment of both your spoken English interpreting skills and your American Sign Language interpreting skills. Mm-hmm. Great. No, I think that's that's great advice. Just to be able to hear that a little bit and sort of get behind the door before you even get into the interview. Sure, yeah. Now, you brought up something. You brought up the idea of a code of conduct. and You, you briefly mentioned it. Could you maybe fill us in a little bit on, on what types of things that would entail, just in terms of, again, this is new to me as far as learning uh, this type of information, and I'm sure most of our listeners. What, what sort of things are you really looking at when you're talking about a code of conduct? Our Registry of Interpreters for the Deaf, our professional association, has a code of professional conduct that all interpreters who are certified by that organization must adhere to. Mm-hmm. And there are several different tenets that um, it addresses, good ethical business practices, not overbilling when you have the opportunity to do so, to use discretion. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think most importantly, to respect the rights of the deaf individuals for whom you are interpreting and to maintain confidentiality at all times. I think often because the world rarely encounters deaf people, this is changing over time because the deaf community has worked very hard 
to establish itself and to establish its rights. But there's still times when a hearing individual may not fully understand or appreciate all of the gifts and talents that a deaf person has. And it's incumbent upon us as interpreters to really work very hard to ensure that there's an even playing field uh, when we are interpreting to always ensure that the deaf person's rights and abilities are, are conveyed and respected in the way that we do our work. And as I said earlier, we have the privilege and the honor and also a bit of the burden to be present in deaf people's lives in very intimate ways. And that means that we have a lot of information about people that we can't just blab about. Mm -hmm. uh, if we want to maintain our standing in the field, if we want to be an interpreter that the deaf community wants to work with, they have to really know that if I'm invited into a situation where they may be disciplined at work, that I'm not going to walk out of that experience and tell everyone I know that Joe Smith got in trouble at work, sure. that I will keep that information to myself and that they don't have to worry about the intimate details of their lives being shared with others in the deaf community. Uh, I mean, it's, it's definitely an interesting aspect of it and one that, I, again, honestly, I didn't necessarily think of because you're just, you know, I think often the, the general public thinks, okay, you do your job, you move on. But uh, yeah, I mean, you talk about being at the doctor as well, some of that information that uh, you definitely don't want out there necessarily. So uh, it's definitely good to hear that part of it. Well, we are going to actually have to take a little time out here with our expert guest, Trudy Schaefer, who's been a practicing interpreter in her career and is currently the project coordinator for the National Interpreter Education Center at Northeastern University. Of course, we've been talking about the profession of interpreter, which is expected to see a ton of growth and really has a lot of diverse opportunities for any individuals who are interested. So if you want to continue to listen to this interview, head over to localjobnetwork.com slash radio slash list. Head up to the search bar, type in I want to be an interpreter, and part two will come right up for you to continue to listen to this conversation. Otherwise, if you'd like to contact us about any of our podcasts, shoot us an email to ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. That way we can see what maybe other types of jobs all of you are interested in. Once again, I'm your host, Tim Muma. This has been I Want to Be A on LJN Radio. We'll talk to you again later. <laughs>